Why don't we uh, pray to begin. Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for your Shabbat. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, Father, you have your purposes, your calling. Um, Father, the things that you always intend to accomplish, Lord, and uh, Father, you are the one who has set the times and the seasons and the people and the places and the purposes and the provisions, Father, all, all in coordinated motion according to your will, Lord. And Father, we just pray that today, Lord, that you would speak to us. Father, that you would help us to understand what it is that you want us to do, Lord, to reveal yourself in a way that um, we haven't seen before, Lord, so that we can understand you and, uh, and respond to you in a deeper way. In Yeshua's name, amen. <clears throat> um, I wanted to start out with showing you guys something that you probably haven't seen before. Okay, so you might not know this. This building was built in the early 50s, and just from doing maintenance or doing other things in the building, I found something that I almost wanted to show you with a camera, but I decided to pull one thing out. So up here, back in the back, near the women's changing room, there's a little cubby hole back in there, okay? And in that cubby hole where you can get in some maintenance areas and things like that, there's this gigantic tray drawer that's almost all wood and metal, incredibly heavy. I wanted to bring it out here and show all of it to you, but it's heavy, so I left it up there. And, uh, <clears throat> and this is the, the stuff that's in it. It's a set of drawers. These are attendance cards. Okay, and so what you have here is you have a family name, you have a bunch of names on it, you have the 12 months, January, February, all the way through December, and you have the Sabbath, would have likely been Sundays with the congregation that built this, okay, of when people showed up. I have no idea what red versus blue means on this, and then this is some kind of like a callback card. Okay, the date on this callback card is November 20th, 1955. So there's a whole pile of these attendance cards from 1955 and 1956 sitting up there that's likely from the original congregation that built this building. Okay, that it's kind of this snapshot of history of who was there, who was counted, when were they there, People trying to take care of the congregation, right? And now here we are, almost 70 years later, okay? And today is your Shabbat, February 10th, right? I got the date right, right? February 10th, okay? And you're here, and there's your name, and your family, okay? And your mark. But you're here. Now, we're not doing this. In fact, we kind of, you know, we're a little more digital these days. But even then, we're not necessarily counting you on the way in, okay? But the point being, this is, there's a snapshot in time of being counted, okay? <clears throat> and what's interesting, I decided there's some other things about this time period of the mid-50s that are really interesting. You know, for some of you, you might have um, known... Vietnam War veterans, right? Okay, that's recent enough history that you probably knew Vietnam War veterans in your life. Some of you are Vietnam War veterans. This is far enough back. This is about the time of the Korean War. Okay, 
in about, 10, in about 10 years after World War II, okay? One other thing that just happened at work for me is they went, they just, our, at my job where there's definitely faith is one of the core values, they actually put up these signs just in the last couple weeks in several of our um, conference rooms that has the poster that says, in God we trust, and at the bottom of it, it says, signed into U.S. law, because it's the motto of the United States, in God we trust, signed into U.S. law in 1956. Okay, so that was, became the motto in 1956, so some in the shadow of World War II, okay? And then, you might not realize this, but you know that Alaska and Hawaii weren't even states yet. We weren't even the 50 states that you guys all grew up with, okay? So Alaska and Hawaii became states in 1959, okay? So I'm sharing this with you because I'm trying to provide you some perspective on where you're at, set the context of where we are because you didn't build this building. I didn't build this building. I wouldn't even say we inherited this building, but, you know, by the, by the grace of God, we do fully own the building now, don't even have a mortgage on it anymore, okay? Praise God for that, yes, right? But <clears throat> there's something that was given to the next generation here, right, with what we have. There's something that kind of passed on, okay, and these people are some of the people that were probably involved in the building of this building, okay, some, whoever's names were up there, um, and, and now we're here. So now what? Okay, what's different? What's, what's important about that? And so when we look at today's portion... Okay, there's three things that are happening that all kind of carry around the same theme. So first, we're, at, we're after all the tribes have been counted, okay? And so it, throughout Numbers 26, okay, in our Torah portion today, the beginning of Numbers 26 is all the tribes being counted, again, at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, okay? And now it's... It's an explanation of what is, is going on with the next generation, okay? The second story is the one that Philip already mentioned today, which is the daughters of Zelophehad, okay? Because there's an inheritance to pass on, but Zelophehad didn't have sons, and so the daughters made a claim of that the inheritance should pass on to them, which I'll get to that in a little bit more. But then Moses was also told by God that he was not going to go into the promised land, and so the mantle of leadership needed to be passed on. And so they chose Joshua, okay? God chose Joshua, because Moses didn't even say that it would be Joshua, okay? Moses said, God, you need to put someone here. Moses asked for it, right? And so God was the one who chose Joshua, okay? And so <clears throat> there's, there's really a common thread in this story, in all of these stories, about taking up an inheritance, an inheritance that's passed on from one generation to the next. And so that's kind of the name of my teaching today is Generations, Responsibility, and Leadership. Okay? Generations, Responsibility, and Leadership. And <clears throat> each of these three things really highlights something that we need to get to the heart to. Um, there's some things that sometimes go unsaid, and to use, to quote Joe George, he says, sometimes the, the more it goes unsaid, the more it needs to be said. 
um, there's kind of an undercurrent of what's true of all of life, what's true for all of us, what's true for every moment of every day, of every person, of every family, of every community, of every congregation, of every state, of every country, of every nation. It's true of all of us. And that is, what is our responsibility? And what's interesting, when you see this transition from one generation to the next, you don't always see on a day-to-day basis what the weight of that responsibility is. What's the content of it? What is it supposed to be? Because you kind of grow up into it as little children, and you're kind of used to the idea that your parents are doing some things well, not doing other things well. You may understand your responsibility, you may not. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that an end of a matter is better than the beginning. It says that being in the house of mourning is better than being in the house of feasting. And so when you transition from one generation to the next, it is abundantly clear. What is the weight and the responsibility that's being passed on? Does that make sense? And it's interesting because, you know, for any of you who have lost anyone really important to you in your life, one of the first shocking things that happens in that near term after you lose someone important is realizing that life doesn't stop. Life keeps going, right? You were profoundly affected, but hey, still got to mow the lawn, still got to take care of the family, still got to go to work. There's still other things that just kind of keep going, right? And so when it comes to what you have to pick up from an inheritance, from what's been passed to you, is trying to understand what is the content of that responsibility. What is it that has even been passed on to you? And Philip alluded to this already today. Well, he didn't allude to it. He said it flat out that there's a covenant and a promise that's been passed out. And it's really important to understand that for us as believers, okay, if I could come to you today and go backwards, it's the, you have a spiritual inheritance a family inheritance, and you have a set of responsibilities that have been given to you today just by, well, just by being born to who you were born to, right? Some of your inheritance you can choose, some you can't, right? And so how important is it to understand what's been passed on to you? Well, you're responsible for it, so shouldn't you figure that out? Right? And so this is why it's important when Paul talks about that we are children of Abraham by faith. If you're Jewish, you're a natural child, but if you're not Jewish, you're a child of Abraham by faith. The inheritance that was promised to Abraham is what's passed on to us, right? God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would do what? What God said before he destroyed Sodom. And Gomorrah, as he said, why should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because he will teach his children after him to keep my ways. It was so important to Abraham when he was finding a wife for Isaac that he wanted a woman who would keep the covenant with him and not lead him astray. Right? And then when it was passed to Jacob, it was the same thing. Who would carry the blessing? 
regardless of the, the back and forth, the craziness, or the, what people did right or did wrong, there's this sense of who's going to carry the responsibility of the covenant? Right? Who's going to carry this forward? And that's what God is looking for. <clears throat> so I want to go through each of these stories kind of individually and talk about some different highlights of each one that really matter to us getting a sense of this. Okay? So when it comes to the, the 12 tribes, and, you, and they counted, right? One of the things that God says, verse, and Doreen read it, chapter 26, verse 52, And I then spoke to Moses, saying, The land is to be divided to these as an inheritance according to the number of names. For the larger you are to make his inheritance larger, and to the smaller you are to make his inheritance smaller. Each is to receive his inheritance in proportion to his population. Okay? So, in proportion. So, if you compare the numbers of the tribes at the beginning of the Exodus, in the beginning of the book of Numbers, when they're counted the first time, to the end, some tribes were about the same, some tribes are larger, some tribes are smaller. Okay? And so, there's a sense of the first generation was held responsible for its sins. Later in verse um, 64, not one of them was among those counted by Moses and Aaron the Cohen when they counted the sons of Israel in Sinai in the Sinai wilderness, because Adonai had said they would surely die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun. So the ones that they counted here at the end of the Exodus, not one of them was among those that they counted at the beginning. So it's interesting that the first generation, in some sense, if you could sum up what they did not do, is they did not take responsibility for what they were supposed to take responsibility for. Right? And I, I, I've, I've been thinking about how to even frame this conversation, and I could frame this conversation in so many ways. I could have all kinds of tones. You know, you guys joked about me using my dad voice earlier. I could give this whole teaching in a dad voice. There's so many ways that I could talk about this. I could lament about it and talk about how people don't take responsibility for what they're supposed to do. Because this is so pervasive in life that you have all kinds of emotions tied to it, but the simple fact of the matter of which you cannot avoid is that God has given you responsibility for something. For many things. And it always starts with how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to take responsibility for what God gave you in life? Right? And that first generation didn't do so hot. Okay? And so God chose that they would die in the wilderness because what did God do? Well, he took responsibility. He took responsibility and said, we're going to do this differently then. And so when you're that second generation, and th this is really where I really want you guys to think about this for a second. Put yourself in the situation of the second generation. We didn't build this building. We didn't get to inherit it. We didn't get to pick the color of the carpet. Right? We didn't get to do all kinds of things. Sorry, a little joke there. We didn't get to pick the color of the carpet. We didn't get to pick all kinds of things related to this building. We got what we got. Okay? And we've done different things with it. You know, the seats, for instance, are one of the things that was replaced after we got into this building. So you're sitting on seats that 
15 years ago, we decided that was worth an investment to fix up, okay? But there's probably half a dozen people here that even know where we're here when that happened, right? So you didn't get to choose that. What are you going to do with it, though? You're the second generation that you didn't get to choose what your parents did. You didn't get to choose what happened. You didn't get to choose the timing either. You didn't get to choose the path. The way the first generation was going to go up into the land was from the south, and it was in the fall, okay, which there's some prophetic implications of that, that the first generation, God was going to bring them in around the time of the fall feasts, and that was what God was going to do with the first generation. The second generation, they had to go around the Dead Sea, they had to fight all kinds of battles before they even got there with Og and, and other kings that they had to defeat, okay? They got denied entry by Edom and Moab and went all kinds of wandering around the wilderness just to get to where they were told to go. And then they had to have their own version of the sea crossing where God was going to dry up the Jordan and bring the whole people across, and then it was at a different time of year. It was actually around the time of your Passover. Okay? So it's kind of this reset that God's doing with this second generation, but it's not the same situation. Right? Now, this is one of the things we say at Passover that the rabbis teach, that every generation has to go through the Red Sea. Every generation has to come out of Egypt. And you see that with exactly what happens with the second generation. It's like they needed their own version of it, but it wasn't the same, right? God still had different purposes, and they didn't get to choose that, but they were still responsible for what God gave them to do. You see what I mean? And that's one of the challenges that we have, is you didn't get to choose so much of what is given to you in life, and that doesn't change what you're responsible for at all. There's some responsibilities that you get to choose in life. Most are chosen for you, right? Which we'll get to that, because this is really important when we talk about leadership, but we'll get to that. Now, the Zelophehad, the daughters, okay? We actually talked about this quite a lot in Torah study this morning. The question that we posed was, what was the daughters' intentions? What were they trying to accomplish? What were they trying to do, Right? And in our modern sense, we lose some of what they're doing. What they say is that there needs to be someone to pass on our father's name, we'll do it. So rather than the daughters thinking, they're not of this mindset of, well, women deserve equal treatment. I'm not trying to be cynical here, but I'm just trying to paint a contrast, okay? That's not their attitude. Their attitude isn't, I deserve this, I deserve that, we deserve the same as somebody else. That is not what they're thinking at all. What they're thinking is, there's a responsibility and there's no one there to do it. We'll do it. Right? They, were, they, they, they would have been willing if there was a son, okay, there he is, right? Right? And this is, this is one of the things that is really, really misunderstood about gender equality in general, okay? Is that, yeah, we're all equal before God, but there are different roles and responsibilities. 
right? And that it's, it's that simple. And guess what? You don't get to choose it. You don't. <clears throat> I'm trying not to hurry to the leadership part, sorry. So the, these daughters, okay, in fact, the proof of this at the end of Numbers, okay, there's another framework that happens at the end of Numbers in Numbers 36. This is the very last chapter. These daughters come back up again, okay? In fact, they come up again in Joshua because then when they finally get into the land, they, go to, they have to go to Joshua to say, look, this is what Moses promised us. Now can we do it, right? Okay, so these women come up three times. Okay, this is not a small deal. This is important to understand what is going on. In the end of Numbers... The other men of the tribe of Manasseh come back to Moses and say, look, we understand you said that these women would receive an inheritance. However, if they marry outside of the tribe, that would mean that whatever inheritance they get would go to another tribe. So they asked, because these women came and asked if they could be responsible for something. So what was asked of these men, these men were asking, can it be required that they would marry only within the tribe so that whatever inheritance that they're passing on stays within the tribe of Manasseh? It was accepted. Moses agreed. And the women agreed. Right? The women agreed. Which means they accepted a restriction on themselves in order to fulfill an obligation. Right? means they were taking responsibility. And this is, this, is, this is part of what I'm getting at, is there are so many people that they don't want restrictions. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to take responsibility for their own sins. God, see, I could, I, could, I could just talk about this ad nauseum. There are so many characters in the, in the Scripture, and this is a good transition into Joshua, okay? But you understand what I'm getting at with the daughters of Zelophehad. They were, taking, they were picking up a responsibility because there wasn't a man to pick up the responsibility. Do you see that? Does everyone understand? Like that is, it's, it's a completely different attitude of what they were choosing to do, okay? So when you get to Joshua, this is kind of the ultimate picking up a responsibility. All the responsibilities of the families the tribes, the priesthood, the leadership of God's congregation, maintaining the covenant, leading the people in the things that God told them to do. And Joshua was assuming the responsibility of all of that. And he was picked by God. Joshua didn't jump at it himself. Okay? But why, why did God choose Joshua? True. True, and that does matter. There's a specific point I'm making today that's a little bit related but different, okay? But faith is definitely involved in it, okay? When David was ready to face Goliath, what did he, what did he talk about as being a shepherd? He said, when the lion came and when the bear came, I took hold of them and killed them to protect the sheep. Okay? When Joseph was thrown into prisons, 
First, he went to Potiphar's house. Well, what, what did he do? He became steward of the whole house. Potiphar wasn't concerned about anything going on in his house because Joseph was responsible for it. Okay? When he, and then when Joseph was thrown into the prison, because we talk about responsibility, what did Potiphar's wife not do? She didn't take responsibility for herself, right? And this is, this is a classic thing, by the way, of when people don't take responsibility and they have sins they're not taking responsibility for, they project their sins onto the people who do take responsibility, okay? And, and I'm trying not to be too cynical, but that's like the definition of woke right there, okay? That's gaslighting from the woke culture, is not taking responsibility for their sins and then projecting those sins onto everyone else, okay? That's Potiphar's wife, okay? Well, then what happened to Joseph in the prison? He took responsibility. See, so David was given leadership. Moses was a shepherd and given leadership. Joseph was responsible in whatever place that he was given. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Every single person is responsible for at least their own sins. But what changes when you get to leadership? Now you're responsible for other people. So if God is going to choose a leader, what's he going to look for? Humility, faith. He's going to look for someone who takes responsibility even beyond themselves. And now when you look at the structures that God set up, family structures, community structures, the whole nation structures, you see how everyone is given a responsibility and a role, and as you progress up the chain, and there's more responsibility, there's more... um, the structure has a purpose. <clears throat> so, if any of you have ever heard of John Maxwell, okay, okay, really, really famous leadership author, okay, here's the general definition of leadership that he gives. The general definition that he gives is influence over other people in order to um, influence them to do what they would otherwise not do on their own. Right? I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's the general gist of it. And I respectfully disagree because that's the result. That's like describing what is the result of leadership, not the actual cause of leadership. Okay? Because the cause of leadership is taking responsibility where others don't. That's the heart of it. And that's one of the reasons why people have such a hard time grasping what leadership really is. Why all of a sudden it's, it's like, how, how does that person, like, how do people follow them? Why, did, why does that person stand out in front and people are like, yeah, I want to I wanna, I wanna follow that guy? Because there's this natural sense of they're taking responsibility and I trust them. Right? This happens in marriage too. Like God actually designed men and women for men to naturally take an extra level of responsibility and women, what do you respond to most when you can tell the guy's taking responsibility? 
right? It's so primal and innate to how God created us that you don't even consciously know you're doing it. Right? So, <clears throat> so really, the core of what I think is really important to understand from this Torah passage is taking responsibility. And I've seen, gosh, I, I could come up with so many good examples and bad examples, and I've seen some things like this even at work recently. We, talk, we were talking about some work examples in Torah study, but I've seen intelligent people, smart people, kind people, people that maybe are steadfast or wealthy, and I could give all kinds of other descriptions about these people that would otherwise be good. And then when I see an example of what they did not do well, it always comes back to this. It always comes back to there's something that they should have taken responsibility for that they didn't. I had a real smart young man in a situation that he was trying to help someone who was out in the field, and they had a slight disagreement and a miscommunication, and this smart young man who's really good at what he does, basically stepped out, went to his team lead and said, I need you to take care of this. I can't handle this right now. And I didn't disagree with his causes. I didn't disagree with his reasons. I understood why he was frustrated. But then when I coached him later, I said, here's what you, you did. You took yourself out of the game. Was the other guy wrong? Yeah. Did you have reason for what you were doing? Yeah, I understand your frustration. But what did you do? You stepped out of the game. When, when leaders take responsibility, you don't step out of the game. It doesn't matter what goes wrong. You want to know whether someone takes responsibility or not. Watch what happens when things go wrong. Right? Then you'll know. Are they a person who's going to take responsibility? Your parent? How do you respond when things go wrong? Right? You have a job. Maybe you're responsible for other people in that job. How do you respond when things go wrong? That, as part of what leads us to the apostolic portion with Yeshua. I want to read this. Okay? So our apostolic portion is in John... 10, 7 to 18. And I want to read more of this, okay? So Yeshua said again, Amen, amen, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, okay? If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. He will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So pause there. Why do thieves become thieves? Well, you still need to eat. You still need to take care of yourself. So you've inherited a responsibility for the life that God's given you, but you're not taking responsibility for it, so you're not going to do work. You're going to go steal from others who do the work. 
Now you understand why stealing is like one of the Ten Commandments, how horrible it is when you're robbing from other people, okay? Yeshua continues, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? The good shepherd lays down his life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you. The hired worker is not the shepherd. The sheep are not his own, right? He sees the wolf coming, something bad happens. He sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. The man is only a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. Okay? I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead, and they will listen to my voice, so there shall be one flock, one shepherd, right? Because anyone who follows him can be part of his flock. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Okay? So the shepherd, when something something bad happens, intervenes. He gets involved. I had a good friend in ministry many years ago that he said 90% of ministry is showing up. You don't have to have all the answers. That's where the faith comes in. You don't have to know everything that you need to do, but what did God tell Joshua at the beginning of the book of Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Did Joshua have all the answers? Did Joshua know he knew what he was supposed to do in general, but he knew everything that was going to happen. Joshua took ownership when things went wrong, when that guy took the garment from Jericho, right? What do you do when things go wrong? That's how you know. That's the heart of responsibility. And there's an image, that's why I brought this up here today. This is a one of those readily available canes that we like to have available in case somebody needs it, okay? Well, why do you have a cane, right? Someone wants to be able to walk around. They want to be able to support themselves, okay? Because there's something that they would otherwise be able to do that they can't do, okay? So what is the cane accomplishing? Support, okay? This may sound strange, but the cane is taking the responsibility that the person can't do themselves. Right? Right? To be able to lean on the cane. Don't want it to break. You want it to be sturdy. Okay? It needs to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. It's a tool that's been made for that purpose. Okay? 
And that, when you have a shepherd, they, ha- they would have a longer rod, but something similar to this, where you'd have a hook on it for guiding the sheep, right? But then even when you go to the book of Revelation, what does it say that Yeshua will have in the millennial kingdom? Rod of iron. Right? So, if, we, if he is the potter and we are the clay, if he is the maker and we are the made, if we are the tool that he created for his purposes, you have a responsibility to kind of do what he made you for. Right? I mean, if, I, if, if, if this Cain rebelled against me and said, no, I want to walk this way, well, that's kind of annoying, you know? Or if it ran away from me and I said, well, now I can't do anything with you. Like, what are you doing? You see what I mean? God, being the creator God, made us in his image. He wanted servants that could respond. He wanted servants that had power, capability, understanding, and could respond to him to do more advanced things. Well, if he's given that to us, then that's our responsibility. That's why the Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything that he made you to be, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This this is the story of life. That's why I'm saying I could come up with so, so many examples. You could read the scriptures over and over and over again. And it's, it's this simple. Sin is not taking responsibility. It's a, it's, it's a sin to not take forward the things that God gave to us. God goes so far as to say that he hated Esau. This God of love, this God who loves everyone, and he does, he hated Esau because Esau despised his birthright. Esau was that Cain that said, I don't want to be a Cain. I want to be something else. Huh? Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's what happens, right? So when you look at the inheritance that God does, this is like the parable of the talents. If God says... The one who is faithful with what he was given is given more, but the one who wasn't faithful, even what he has is taken away from him. Right? And this, this is also in marriages, in families, in anything, taking responsibility for yourself first is always critical because that's what you've got to answer to God for. You don't have to answer for God for whether or not you're marriage was good, for example, you'd need to answer to God for what you did in your marriage. You see the difference? This is why when we judge things by the result, we're missing something. We're looking at the symptoms. And the real difference is taking responsibility. And when God chooses leaders, they were people who saw a responsibility that needed done, and that was their attitude. Was Joseph trying to go for the throne? Was Joshua trying to be the one that replaced Moses? David was just caring for sheep. They were doing their job, 
and doing it well. When I'm at work, I'm a director of engineering is my current job, okay? So I hire guys, I've got team leads, I've got things that I gotta do. When I'm looking for someone to be a team lead, for example, I'm looking for someone who's doing more than their job. Does that make sense? Like, when we, and we have to be careful about false responsibility here, right? False responsibility is a real thing, okay? But usually, if you stay focused on what your responsibilities are, the false responsibilities are a little more obvious. Because guaranteed, if you have a false responsibility, the devil is trying to get you to shirk your real responsibilities. Every time. Every time. Adam and Eve, that's the story, right? Their real responsibility was clear. And then the devil got him to think that something else. Hey, maybe I need to become God. Maybe I need to take care of myself. I've got different things I need to do than what God gave to me. And then all of a sudden, by trying to do something else, they shirked what their responsibility actually was. So when you have false responsibilities, ah, that's what I wanted to share, Moses. Why did God make Moses, tell Moses he wouldn't go in? I would say that this is one of those times where that's exactly what Moses did, was he took on a false responsibility. He was angry, understandably so. He had been responsible for the people, and they had been rebellious. Kind of understandable. God didn't rebuke him for being angry. God rebuked him for not honoring his name. Right? And so what Moses did was took a false responsibility on himself, got angry at the people and judged them in a way he wasn't supposed to, was angry at them and decided that he was going to smack the rock instead of speaking to it. But God didn't rebuke him for being angry. God didn't rebuke him for saying the truth about what the people were. Yeah, they were rebellious. He rebuked him for not carrying the name and honoring God's name the way that he was supposed to because of his position, right? And that's what changes. That's one of the reasons why when we don't honor, you use that word today, honor, honor people, like it says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, okay? When we don't do that, we're not honoring the responsibility. This is, this is another one of those things that we get backwards. We think we're so used to the honor and the privilege. I'm trying to teach my kids about this. We're so used to focusing on the honor and the privilege. We have this joke in our house, we call it adult privilege, right? The kids don't get to do that. That's adult privilege, okay? That's kind of a joke, but it's true, right? And even as humans, we're so used to thinking that way, we don't even realize we're completely backwards. Because we say this phrase of, with privilege comes responsibility, and that's already backwards. With responsibility comes privilege. Right? It's, and, and that's the attitude that we need to have. That's the attitude that we need to have. And so when we are supposed to honor people for what they do, because Philip wanted to honor women today, right? Like, 
the daughters were choosing to fill a responsibility, when you look back at Adam and Eve, it was God's choice that the woman was going to have a special place, that the seed of the woman would be what, what came from the man, so, or what, uh, what defeated the enemy, okay, with the Messiah, so that the Messiah would come through a virgin woman, okay? Now, did that completely change and upend the whole authority structure and things that God put in place? No, everyone had responsibilities, but it also proved that God was supreme over all of it, because how could a virgin give birth otherwise? You see what I mean? It almost reinforces the norm. It's, you ever heard the phrase, it's the exception that proves the rule? Right? So, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's what we need to be thinking about in our daily lives. Okay? If you want to understand, what is God calling me to do? What should I do? What should I be a part of? Okay? It's the, what should I be responsible for? And then the reason why God has this structure of family and the structure of community is that really when you put all the responsibilities together, they can be shared. If any of you have ever, you know, whether it's a good family circumstance or maybe working on a good team to do a project or something like that, um, I personally really like the team that I work with at work, right? When you can share responsibilities, oh my gosh, it is so much easier. You can accomplish so much, right? Then what happens when you got that one person that doesn't do even their responsibilities? It's a drag on everyone, right? It is a drag on everyone. And so there's that <clears throat> synergy, that building up the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, when you have people that are mutually responsible for themselves and to each other. And that is the kingdom that God is building with Yeshua at the head. To the degree that, and, and, and if you want to understand why this is so, so true, I hope this really clarifies to you why the sacrifice of Yeshua was so worthy of reward. He took the responsibility on himself that all of us could not do. Right? That's what makes him a leader. That's what makes him the Messiah. That's what makes him worthy to sit at the right hand of the Father because he took responsibility. And we just did it today with the, 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 um, the Lord's Supper, right? Of understanding that he laid down his life for the sheep, right? He stood in the gap. And God is looking for those kind of people. God is looking for the kind of people that don't just take responsibility for themselves. Because most people don't even do that. But again, I'm trying not to go off the deep end there, right? Most people don't even take responsibility for themselves. But for us to take responsibility for ourselves, for our family, for our community, for what is our part even in the organizations that we're a part of like Takoon, what is 
How does tikkun see their responsibility to the whole world and to the call of God and what is happening in the world? Right? When you, God is looking for people, he says this in Ezekiel, he says it in Isaiah, looking for a man to stand in the gap. You know, I wonder, you read the book of Judges, and I wonder when Joshua came to the end of his life, why Joshua didn't have somebody to pass it on to. I don't know. I don't know what went wrong. But clearly when you get to the book of Judges, you see everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. Lack of responsibility. Lack of owning up to the inheritance that they received. And that's to kind of come full circle. I, um, I had a friend give me a compliment one time that stuck with me, where the way that they described it was it was like when you're in a battle and you get bogged down and everyone's muddy and, and it's not working, that they said that somehow I was always someone that just stood back up again. That somehow was like the mud just didn't stick. Right? <clears throat> Actually, it was funny, that was a phrase that the Israelis used with me too. They, they said, you're like Teflon. Um, and I appreciated that. But what's interesting is, is that that's, it's, not, it's not like it's luck. It's not like it's privilege that comes with, well, how did that guy get that position? How did that guy get that manager position? Or how, does, you know, how did you get that blessing in life? And we get so focused on the privilege, it's kind of a, don't worry about that. It'll come. What's the responsibilities that you need to take on? And if anything, I lean towards taking on too much responsibility, not enough. And it's interesting because God is so patient that the purposes of God can lie dormant for a generation or more. The book of Judges, the purposes of God lay dormant for generations before it changed with Samuel, right? Because God wants someone who's going to take that responsibility, and it's not just that someone, okay? If anything, that top person that, gets, that becomes that shining example at the leadership is an example to follow, not... You know, God's not just looking for the one person. Do you see what I mean? That's why this is so important. Because it can be so easy to think, oh, well, that guy's doing the job. I just, I don't need to do anything. Right? Whereas, how about you look around and say, what's not happening? What needs done? What can I do? How can I contribute? It's a completely different mindset. Completely different mindset. Right? And that's what God's looking for. Because if you have an entire kingdom of people that everybody takes responsibility for themselves and takes responsibility for other people, how can anything go wrong? Or even if something seems like it's going to go wrong, well, they'll take care of it. Somebody will figure it out because everybody's looking. Everybody's checking. You see what I mean? 
It starts with every single one of you. Because then you have the situations like this where you have the one leader, you have a family, where you have, you have a, one leader, you have a family, and you have entire tribes where everyone's taking responsibility for what's been given to them and then obeying what God's doing and moving forward with it. And one of the greatest things that God can do is get millions of people to obey him. Right? I mean, that's powerful. But it means, it means you have to look around. You've got to think about the people near you. You've got to contribute where you can contribute. And then you're going to get asked on Judgment Day, hey, you sat in that pew on February 10th, 2024, in a building that I made sure was prepared for you, with people that weren't in your family, with all kinds of things that even people coming from different countries, right, speaking different languages, that, you're, that, that I put you there, and you didn't get to choose all of those things to get to that point, but what did you do with it? Right? And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to have problems. Things are not going to go well. Right? But if you want to know whether you're doing your job right, whether you're taking responsibility for the things that God made you do, it's how you respond when things go wrong. Okay? It's how you respond when things go wrong. Do you take ownership of it? Do you take responsibility for yourself and for others? Okay? That's the example that Yeshua left for us. Why don't we pray? <clears throat> Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word and your truth. And above all, Yeshua, thank you for your example. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for not just saying it, but doing it. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would stir in our hearts how to follow you, how to be a part of your kingdom and what you're doing, how to seek to obey your commands because you care for the sheep and to trust, Lord, to have that faith that you care for us so that we can focus on caring for others, Lord, focus on taking care of the responsibilities that are being dropped or taking care of other people that can't quite take care of themselves, Lord. Father, we thank you that your purposes are true and forever. Lord, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, Lord, that you are faithful. And Father, we just we want our hearts and our attitudes to change, Lord, because we want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord. We want to be faithful to the word and to the commands that you put in front of us today, Lord, to take forward the inheritance that you've given to us, to take responsibility for what is passed on to us, Lord, to turn back to what our fathers have given us, good, bad, and otherwise, Lord, whatever it is that's been passed on to us, Lord, to take responsibility for it and to do what you want us to do with it. 
In Yeshua's name, amen.